Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast. Please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast with your colleagues. Also keep an eye out for the further details of the BAFCA Virtual Convention, which is taking place on the 3rd to the 5th of July. We are joined today by Coach AJ Stewart, who will be talking about running back development. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Adam Lillis. I'm delighted to be joined today by the running backs coach of the University of Arizona Wildcats, Coach AJ Stewart. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. I mean, we're all trying to get through these trying times, but I can't complain. We're all safe and uh, yeah, just really good opportunities to do more things like this and talk to coaches across the... uh, across the pond, as we say, and try and get some knowledge shared. Most definitely. Right, so let's get into it. So uh, today we're talking about uh, running back development, and we're going to talk a little bit about run blocking schemes uh, and and some plays. But before we start doing any of that, I'd like to give guests the opportunity to give some introduction onto their their background in, in football, how they got into football in the first place, and their career journey up to your current position at the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Well, once again, thanks for having me. Um, just kind of give you a, a brief overview. Um, just as my career, I, I started I'm from uh, St. Louis, Missouri, um, and started playing football when I was seven years old. Worked, you know, worked my way all the way up uh, through high school um, as a quarterback, and uh, ended up, you know, doing enough to to receive a scholarship to play at the University of Kansas. I played there, um, went in as a, as a uh, quarterback. I played uh, quarterback my freshman year and then moved to uh, slot receiver. And then eventually, um, as we uh, switched coaching staffs and a little bit, you know, we did a little, little different, a few different things uh, schematically. Um, I ended up being more so an H-back um, my last two years of college. And so I uh, was really blessed to kind of have to learn different positions in college, uh, it wasn't the easiest thing to do, you know, during my time there because I just kept, it's like I, I felt like I was restarting all the time. But it actually, as a coach, um, just reflecting back, it actually prepared me for this opportunity a little more because I, I had to learn a lot more football and not rely on my, uh, you know, my God-given talents to kind of help me get by. And so, um, so I, you know, had some fun, played college football at Kansas. As soon as I graduated, I moved down to Houston, Texas, and uh, was a graduate assistant at Rice University, um, a small Division One school um, over there in Texas. And I was able to work with the offensive coordinator. He was our running backs coach. And so I worked directly with him. He was an O-line guy. He's actually the O-line coach at Maryland now. And um, and so he kind of he kind of gave me a lot more opportunity um, to coach than most graduate assistants get. Um, just because he wanted to be more um, tied in with the line and, and things like that. And so uh, kind of once I proved that I could, you know, lead guys in drills and all that, he kind of he kind of gave the reins to me, you know, and, 
in that regard and allowed me to, you know, have, have input when it came to drill work and development and things like that. And so that was a great opportunity for me to, to be really hands-on uh, early, early in my career and also was an opportunity for me to um, show our head coach and the rest of our offensive staff that, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was able to coach guys for when, when my opportunity, you know, presented itself. And he ended up leaving, you know, after two years and, and going to take an offensive coordinator job. And so I was, I was blessed to be elevated to um, full-time coach after that. So I, I, were, I was a full-time running backs coach there at Rice for four years. So I was there uh, six, year, six years total. Then um, I transitioned over to uh, BYU, Brigham Young University. I was there uh, for two seasons um, uh, right after that. And so coaching running backs, was able to, uh, you know, kind of expand my network, get around a, a, some really good coaches. Jeff Grimes, who's our offensive coordinator, um, was one of the best run game minds in the, in the country. And so I just – I was blessed to really learn the run game um, from a schematic standpoint, some deeper coaching terms coaching terms for the running backs that just kind of expanded my uh, ability to reach the reach the running backs you know within those two years and I was you know really blessed with that um, then just this past off season I was uh, you know offered a job here at Arizona um, right after you know leaving from Brigham Young and so uh, this is going to be my ninth season as a running backs coach uh, this year and my first year here at Arizona I've been here for like two months now and I've literally been, you know, on vacation pretty much since I took the job. And so uh, it's, it's been a good process for me to get here, kind of get settled in and, uh, and still learn our offense and things like that and prepare for when we get back out there. And so that's kind of my, uh, you know, just a little background on me and how I got to this current moment. That's great. And I find it really interesting how, Pretty much your entire coaching career of nine years has been focusing on the running backs. Yet, it's presumably your your majority of your playing career was playing quarterback and receiver. I mean, you touched on it slightly earlier, but how influential was it playing QB and receiver in other positions? And how did that help you develop as a running backs coach? Because you've got the knowledge of how you're uh, receiving snaps, how you're doing the handoff, how you're doing the mesh from the quarterback point of view. That must help yeah. you coaching running backs up from the other angle. Absolutely. I think um, I, that's why I say it was definitely a blessing for me um, to be able to, you know, just to have that insight as a, as a player. And it, like I said, it was, it was tough for me as a player to always have to move around these positions, but it just prepared me for, um, to be a better coach. I, I really believe that um, things that, that helped, I, I would say, first from a quarterback standpoint is the way that I teach my guys pass protection. I, I teach them pass protection, obviously phys the physicality and the fundamentals of it, but I teach them from the perspective of the quarterback. And I'm big on, as we continue to talk, I always provide a why to my guys for when it comes in regards to technique, scheme, um, coaching points, there's always a why behind it. And so a lot of the, the uh, reinforcements that I use and pass protection come from a quarterback standpoint. I teach my guys to ride the running back or ride the defender outside and make them run the, I use the term run the hump, um, instead of having a straight line to the quarterback and allow him to bull rushes. The reason why I do that is because I want the quarterback to never feel like he has to escape 
the pocket, and I want him to always trust that when a running back's picking up hit whoever he picks up in, in protection, he knows that he's going to be able to stay, just have to maybe step up in the pocket, if anything, but he's not going to have to ever avoid an ex- escape. And so I teach, I teach from that standpoint, um, from a quarterback, um, a lot of the on our read RPO stuff, I teach, you know, re- reinforce our track as the running back as to why it's important for in case the quarterback might pull the, you know, pull the ball. Um, I, I use that. And I think just being a tight end really helped me just understand pass protection. We did a lot of max pro um, my junior and senior year, you know, out of 12 personnel, things like that. And just being able to kind of uh, teach the running backs just some some little, uh, you know, intricacies that I had to learn personally to be able to block, you know, these big 12, you know, pass rushers at times. And um, so I think that helped. And then also just from a receiver and a quarterback standpoint, reinforcing the the need to be where we're supposed to be in pass concepts. Um, I'm, I'm a big stickler on that. If we have a swing route, I want us to get to our landmark. There's a re- once again, there's a reason that we're running a swing route. We would just have you in to protect, but usually we're running any type of flat control. We're trying to create um, a re- the, our clarify the read for the quarterback, and so I kind of teach that from a quarterback standpoint. But also, you know, when you play, when you're in the passing game as a whether a tight end or receiver, you kind of have a deeper understanding of what what uh, your this how 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 your route is important to the concept. And so I try to, you know, reinforce those things. And, and as a running backs coach, probably coach them up a little bit more deeper than some coaches do. Um, just because I felt it as a quarterback, I'm reading, um, you know, curl flat and that wheel is just sitting right under my curl because the running back is taking his time getting out to the flat route, you know, and things like that. And so I, I honestly, it's probably the biggest blessing I ever had to be able to coach, you know, from, from that perspective, but also, um, being able to coach running backs, I think it's, it's kind of helped me separate myself a little more from the guys, you know, that, I, that I'm up against at times just because I think it's – even though I didn't play the position, I think it also, you know, I, I have a little bit different perspective on, on the position than most. Sure, and what I'm experiencing a lot with these podcast episodes with previous guests is a lot of coaches are – going out of their comfort zone from the position that they know, uh, whether that's coaching across the ball from offense to defense or vice versa, or whether it's something similar to what you've done, coaching another position outside of where you played on the same side of the ball. And it sounds like you're preaching the same same song, which is coaches over here in the UK should perhaps consider expanding your horizons a little bit and go and coach other positions that you may know a little bit less about. Absolutely. It, it teaches you, it forces you out of your comfort zone, like you said, and it, it just teaches you to, um, you, you got to really roll your sleeves up and learn the game from a different perspective. And anytime you're, you're uncomfortable, you're expanding your, your knowledge. You know, it, it's tough. It can be uh, a little intimidating at times. I was intimidated earlier in my career, you know, my first, especially my first two years as a GA. And then even my first opportunity as a full-time coach, I was pretty intimidated just because I didn't, I was always in the back of my mind wondering if these guys trusted me and my, you know, coaching because I didn't, you know, play the position. And so it's helped, you know, being a, this is going into my ninth year. I've had success 
with guys, you know, um, in the past. There's some statistical things that, you know, pop out that you'll see and things like that. But I think as the years go, you can have more confidence in your craft just because, you you know, you – you, it's kind of more battle tested and you can you can hold weight with your guys, you know, from that regard. But early in your career, it is pretty humbling. And it, I think that's why a lot of guys kind of want to stick to what's, um, you know, comfortable because it's just from a from our pride standpoint. You know, we, we want to feel like we're in control. But I would say, if especially if you can get in a situation with coaches that are going to groom you throughout the process, I think there's nothing better for your career than to coach a position that's out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. Um, and you, you talked about your career there. You talked about Rice University. Um, you're now at Arizona and you're at BYU in between. What, what are some of the coaching influences that you got of some of the, your colleagues and your peers that have uh, shaped how you, you coach today? Yeah, there's, I, I've I really been blessed. I tell people all the time, I've really been blessed to coach, you know, with some really great guys. and. Um, they're, not all of them are just, you know, names, historic, you know, Hall of Fame name coaches, but just different things in the coaching profession that they've taught me that have been, you know, vital in, in my development as a coach. Uh, just starting off really at, at Rice um, with John Reagan, who brought me there, um, who was the offensive coordinator I, I talked about earlier. He just did a, he, he did a really good run game you know, mine, he taught me a lot about the run game, some really um, simple coaching points to kind of get the running backs where they're supposed to be. Um, and, and just the terminology that he used. I've changed a little bit of the terminology over the years, but some of the, at the core, um, they're, they're pretty much, you know, a lot the same. I just kind of added my own flavor to it, but I was, you know, blessed just to have that opportunity um, to be around him and, and learn from him for t- for two years. And our head coach at Rice, David Bailiff, was incredible um, just as far as just um, doing it the right way. You know, he – we didn't always get the best recruit because we – you know, he didn't sacrifice, you know, his integrity on certain things. And, um, you know, he just built a really good family environment there. And I thought he just did a good job of teaching me that you can, you can have a high level of success in this profession doing it the right way. Um, and, and not, you know, cutting corners and, and sweeping things under the rug throughout the process. And so, you know, I was blessed with, you know, him. And there were other guys on that on my first, you know, staffs that I was with that, you know, just empowered and encouraged me as a young coach, you know, and, you know, stood by my side when I did knucklehead things as a coach, kind of taught me the ropes, taught me, uh, you know, about recruiting and different things like that. Um, and then BYU, once again, Coach uh, Jeff Grimes, uh, Man, he, he made a profound, lasting impact on my career. Um, I definitely wouldn't be – I wouldn't have this opportunity at Arizona if it weren't for him and just uh, the knowledge I, I acquired from my time in that short, you know, two years with him, um, just really learning the run game. And, and I, in my opinion, he's one of the best, you know, in the country, you know, and as far as the run game. And so I was just honestly more blessed to, to be around him and, and get, you know, learn from him. We also had – you know, Kalani Sataki, our head coach, is a great man. Uh, just showed me that, you know, you you can still be a great husband. You can be a great father and, and, you know, devote your time to your family and still be productive, you know, with your career and, and you know, make make positive steps in your career, you know, but not sacrifice, sacrificing your family and, and the things that matter the most throughout the process. And so 
I was just eternally grateful for learning from him, you know, as and me, I want to be a head coach at some point. And so just seeing that you can do it that way. I mean, we beat some really good teams in two years, you know, just doing it that way and not grinding and being at the, you know, office for hours and days at a time. Um, but just, you know, being able to really just plant seeds in a young man in a positive way and then also, you know, still keep our sanity, um, as, you know, and as even during the season when times, you know, get a little hectic and stuff like that. So. Uh, we also just – there were a ton of guys on that BYU staff as well from top to bottom that were incredible um, that I learned a lot from, you know, schematically, just, you know, relational, just all types of things. And then, you know, just being here, I've, like I said, I've only been here for a couple months now, but obviously Coach Sumlin is somebody I've always looked up to in this profession, you know, as an aspiring head coach. And uh, he's had a lot of success. It's been, you know, a blessing being around him. Um, coach Mazzoni – incredible mind, you know, well-revered um, coach. He is one of those Hall of Fame guys, you know, that people, you know, look at as far as just being a, a pioneer um, offensively. And so I just really is, is – I've been just a fly on the wall for, you know, for these nine years, and it's just been a great opportunity for me to and not only be around good football coaches but just really good men that uh, – they just show me that, you know, you can do this thing at a high level and, and just be, you know, be, be who you're supposed to be from God's standards, you know, throughout, throughout that process as well. And so um, I've been internally, I'm internally grateful for, you know, all the guys that, you know, have I've crossed paths with throughout my career. And I, I just attribute that to, you know, just being at the right place at the right time mostly and uh, just being willing to, you know, learn from those guys. That's great. So let's talk running backs. You were talking about recruitment earlier uh, a little bit. So when you have your running back room, as you call it, is there a good number that you like to have in terms of the number of players you have in that room? And do you tend to look for different levels of style of play within your running backs or do you try and get the running backs to match the style of the offense that you're running? Uh, yeah, so as far as the room, I like to really have like eight guys is my is perfect for me. I like to well, I like to have six scholarship guys and at least two walk-ons, um, just because there's so many injuries that uh, you know occur throughout the year. But also, I want I don't I, I don't want it to be top-heavy. You know, I want to have guys that are in the developmental stages that can go down the scout team and work. You know, kind of roll their sleeves up and. And, and get some of that blue collar mentality and then also have, you know, at least four guys to travel with to a game that you feel confident with putting out there in, in you know, critical situations. And so that's, that's kind of the ideal number to me with, uh, you know, possibility of injury and things like that. Um, as far as style, I think you want to look for guys that, that fit your, fit your style. It depends on the offense you're running, you know, so like the offense we run now, you know, it's it's a little more variant in the type of guys you can play with. I mean, last year they had a five foot six, you know, all American guy that just could, you know, flat out blaze and, and do things. And my first year at BYU, we were primarily under center, 22, 23 personnel, um, 13 personnel. You know, we were just running, you know, right downhill at guys. And so he may not have fit as, as well in that system. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, you just need to find the best players possible. And 
if you can get if, – if there's – if the best running back in the country, number one ranked running back in the country is five foot seven, and he wants to come play for you, you don't say, well, hey, you don't fit our offense. We're not going to take you. I think if you can get a guy that can change the trajectory of your program, I think you have to take him and you have to build around, you know, that guy, you know. And so um, there's there's some, some variance that goes to that, I think. But mostly, I think I just don't want to have the same exact player, you know, with those six scholarships that I do get. I don't want to have six of the same guy. You know, I want to have, you know, a variety of different skill sets, you know, and that a different, you know, everybody kind of has their own flavor, so to speak. But the common thing, theme that I'm looking for is just dudes that can take the ball and, and make things happen when they get it, you know. And so that might be six one two two twenty. That might be five six, one eighty five. You know that, that the size and you know and those uh, measurables might be different. But I want guys that can when they get the ball in their hand, they're either gonna run a run a guy over, or they're gonna outrun somebody, do both, or make a guy miss. And uh, those are the things that I'm more concerned with. Absolutely. And in terms of a game day situation, do you have a philosophy in terms of how you rotate those guys into? The game situation is it down? Is it done by down and distance, or is it something else? Or do you just do? Um, do you just see how the game flows and then decide from there? I think going into a game, I kind of have a mind, you know, a mind frame of how I want to rotate guys uh, based on whether it could be practice during the week or it could be just accumulation of success throughout the season. I think those both, but I'm big. I'm a big stickler on how you practice, how you play, and so kind of set a good culture as far as guys understanding that they need to play. They need to play well in practice in order to have a chance on Saturdays, and so that's that's something I kind of always push. But success in games is is important to me as well. Um, as far as rotation in a game, um, I, like I said, I have a pre a, a kind of a predetermined mindset of how I kind of want to rotate if things happen the way I, you know, I, you know, envision them, you know, in a perfect world, but also I, I believe in a hot hand. Like if I see a guy, I mean, I'm with these guys every day. And if I see a guy has just a different little, you know, kick to him that day, I might go with him a little, instead of, you know, five or six carries, he may get a 10 or 11 carries that game just cause I, he just, he's playing with a little bit of more of a spark, you know? And so I think I, there it's, there's not really a science behind it for me. It's just a feel. Um, I think that's a benefit of being a running backs coach. You usually only have one guy out there. And so you can really just, you know, analyze demeanor, body language, um, you know, I, I just – I know when a guy's just feeling it that day. You know, it's, you know, like a, a basketball player. He may not all, you know, score points, but you can just see when he touches the rock. Like, you know, you can feel that he's, uh, you know, he's loose. He's just – he's kind of in a in a rhythm, in a zone. And so that's kind of what, what I go by, you know, mostly. Um, I would I would love to have a guy we can just keep in the game, you know, as long as possible until he tells me he's tired. You know, but I've also had other years where, you know, the best position for us to be in is to rotate players by, per, by you know, personnel, depending on what the play is, you know, instead of, you know, if we got a, you know, outside run call, we might put in one running back. If we have a screen call, we might put another guy in. I don't really like that because I think it's hard to get in a rhythm as a running back with that, but sometimes it's necessary because, uh, you know, they're not, they're not elite at any of those specific things other than one thing that they're pretty good at, you know, so, uh, that's kind of my philosophy as a coach. And uh, 
I'm always going to prepare, prepare four guys to have to play because I've, I've had it. I've gotten down to that fourth guy in a game before. And, uh, but that fourth guy during a week, he doesn't, he's not going to get as many opportunities in practice as the, the top three guys um, just because there's just not an, enough reps. And so he has to be somebody that you can trust, you know, that, that you can trust um, to, to be a more of a mental learner instead of, a, you know, taking a lot of physical reps throughout the week. Sure. So let's get on to the, to the practice field now. Do you have a, an everyday drill sheet that you work from uh, that you use every day? And if so, what are some of the primary skills that you're focusing on with your running backs? I wouldn't say I have a, a specific everyday sheet that I'm going to make sure I just hit these things. Um, during the season, I'll, I'll go during the season. Like during the season, I'm looking on Tuesdays. I like to do um, – because we're, we're in usually more physical practice on Tuesday. And so I want to make sure I do some – you know, get some physical things in that we're not going to be able to get later in the week. And so, um, you know, things like pass protection against scout players, I like doing that. Um, and, and we're not just, I'm not having those guys just try to give us concussions, but, you know, it's a little, I want to hear some pads pop. I want to, you know, I want to see some physicality on the blocks. And so all, I'm always going to use, use that time on Tuesday for sure during the season to, to utilize that skill set and work it. Um, then also cut blocks. We don't get to cut our scout team. Um, we didn't get to cut our scout team at BYU. And so um, I like to work cut blocks against, you know, agiles, you know, they got pads on. It's just more of a Tuesday's kind of the mindset day for me. Like, we're going to be a little bit more physical. We're going to hit them with some pads, you know, and, and work some um, some ball security. I like doing that. So I kind of have a mindset when it comes to, from you know, structurally from that, but it won't be the same exact drill every day. A lot of my individual time is devoted to things that I'm seeing reoccur on film. And so, you know, one week, you know, we might play and, we just did a great job of cutting guys. I mean, we had five chances to cut in the game. We got them down on every, you know, every time. So I might not work cut blocks on that Tuesday, but because on the other hand, we in that same game, you know, we let a couple guys almost get to the quarterback and pass pro. And so instead of devoting that time to, you know, cut blocking, we're going we're gonna to add those extra couple minutes to pass pro because that's something that we got to really hone in and get cleaned up. And so um, that's kind of my mindset. And then, as far as footwork goes, um, it's a, I kind of look at it the same. If if we're we're doing a pretty good job on our tracks and doing a good job at a run game, we may we might just you know get away from that. We may work ball security because I can see it on film. It's getting loose at some point. We're gonna put the ball on the ground, and so if we get three minutes, I'm gonna ra I'd rather work a ball security drill instead of you know just doing a footwork drill because I have these scheduled you know thing mindset that I'm going to – the schedule mindset that I'm going to go rely on throughout, you know, the course of a season. And so I, I'm I, I'm not saying that's the, the best way to do it, but I'm more so of – I'm looking at the film to see what we need to really focus on to get better at. And I think it also I, – I, we use this term at BYU a lot. We don't want ever want our players to get on autopilot. So I don't ever want on – Every Tuesday, you know, that the running backs throughout the, a 12-game season, they know exactly what's going to happen on Tuesday, you know, exactly what's going to happen on Wednesday and Thursday. I think they just get on autopilot. They're kind of going through the motions, and I think that's when you plateau with your development. And so 
they may know that we're going to do, you know, some type of pass pro on Tuesday, but they won't know the exact drill that we're going to do because I, we might use the same core of the drill, but, but we, you know, I'm going to add a different variable to it, you know, whether it's, hey, this week we're not going to work with a bag, we're going to work with an actual defender, or, hey, this week we're going to work on this guy trying to beat us inside um, instead of him trying to beat us outside. You know, it doesn't mean, like, I'm reinventing every single drill, but I'm, once I feel like they mastered a, a, you know, a specific coaching point, I'm looking for ways to continue to keep them triggered um, mentally so that they're progressing and just cleaning up their craft on a daily basis. Absolutely. Um, so moving on now, we're going into some run blocking schemes, um, specifically from the running back point of view. Uh, we spoke a little bit before the podcast uh, started recording. We going to go through some zone blocking and some some gap blocking uh, schemes before we go into them individually from the perspective of a running back a benefit to either one of them for a running back is there one that excites you more than the other or is it just a case of uh, different coaching points for each I think it's a case of different coaching points I look <laughs> I, I think I'm a lot like a lot of running backs there's not many runs that I don't like I just like that we're getting the ball um but I think, you know, the benefit of zone schemes is that the running back can can make the defense a little, you know, make the defense wrong, you know, more times than none. I mean, obviously it takes – no matter what scheme, we're going to need the guys up front to do their thing in order to give us a chance. But, you know, zone schemes, we're trying to make the de- – we're trying to manipulate the defense and thinking that the ball is going to hit in, in a certain area and then react – and make the you know and make the right decision depending on what how we manipulated them. I think we're a little more reliant on the guys up front to to get a hat on the hat when we're talking gap schemes. Um, we can't sometimes make you know make up for you know a, a bad technique up front or you know a bad landmark by the lineman or them not getting off on a double team. I think you know you're we're a little bit more relying on them, you know, getting the, getting the block more, you know, the scheme more clean up front when we're talking gap schemes, and so uh, that, I think that's the benefit. You know, I, I like I like both schemes, you know, both philosophies, but um, it just depends on really the guys that you're working with up front as well as the guys that you have in the backfield um, as far as their skill sets, you know. Sure. Um, so if we start with gap schemes uh, to begin with, um, we were going to talk about counter. So presumably this is a guard tackle counter. Would you like us to to walk through that in terms of what you're expecting to see up front and what kind of things you're expecting to do in the backfield with your running back? Yeah, so I honestly haven't run a lot of GT counter, um, but I, I mean, I know it. Um, we mostly pr- predominantly throughout my career you know, running, you know, tight end, counter with the tight end, pulling. And so, uh, but the coaching points are the same to me. The biggest coaching point for me, well, obviously we know we're going to get kick out on the DN and then we're going to have a guy working up to the play side linebacker. But uh, for, for me, the coaching points that I've kind of, I've seen make this play take it to another level from a running back standpoint. And I learned a lot of this from, from Jeff Grimes at BYU is I use this coaching point well, the, I'll say this, our landmark on that play, no matter who, who the pullers are or whatever, is the A-gap, is our initial landmark. And the reason 
you know, the reason why to me that's important. Sometimes that thing might hit right down the pipe in the A-gap. Um, but also, I think it also sets the linebackers up and allows us, you know, allows that puller to have a little bit more time, maybe a, a step or two to get there and, and make the, the read clarify for the running back. So the coaching point I use on that is um, we don't want to disqualify ourselves from an A-gap cut on, on the counter. Um, some I've seen it. We uh, My first year at BYU, we had one that hit right down the pipe for about 20, 20 yards for a touchdown. Um, when we were, we were playing it. So that it doesn't happen often, you know, that the ball just throws, you know, throws up in there in the A-gap, but I always use that coaching point because there are times where, the, you know, it's going to present itself and we're going to be able to get a good five or six-yard game by just staying vertical on it. But more so I think it's just important for the to set up the blocks and keep us in phase with the puller. And so the second coaching point on that, so it's A-gap is, is our – aiming point don't disqualify yourself from an a gap you know from the a gap cut but the second point is the our read is the inside hip of the puller and the reason i learned that coaching point the inside hip of the puller from john reagan when i was at rice the reason why i love that coaching point for one is going to take it's going to give us clarity when we get to the spot as far as if we get a log block or a kick out you know from the puller but the main thing that i like about that coaching point reading the inside hip of the puller is that it forces you to stay in phase with the puller and to not outflank him on your track. And so that's, to me, that's the, 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 the biggest coaching point in that play is, and I tell running backs, if you're, you can't, there's not, it's not possible for you to read the inside hip of the puller. If you're outside of the, of the whoever the guy is that's pulling up for the play side backer. And so those two coaching points, I think, have attributed to the, the success that we've had um, in the run game, you know, as far as the uh, counters over the years um, is, is just read, you know, a gap to inside hip of the puller. Um, those are those are things that I'm not sure some, some people coach it that way, but I just I feel confident in those coaching points. I've seen it have success and uh, and it's put our guys in a position to be able to read and react. Um, a little bit better than, than, you know, other things that I've, you know, tried in the past. Sure. And in the last, you know, five to 10 years or so, the, the pin and pull scheme has become more and more popular. Is that something you've had experience in? And if so, uh, the same question applies in terms of what you would be coaching and running back up. Yeah, absolutely. I love pin and pull. It's probably, uh, I, I, you'll hear me say every, every run is my favorite run, but I, I love pin and pull. I like it better to a tight end. I just like that extra hat that you get in, you know, get over there. I and from my from a running back's perspective, I don't really like it out of you know a two man surface as much. I feel like I would rather just invest more time in wide zone, which I, I love. But um, when it comes to pin and pull, this is the thing that I like about gap schemes um, is that the coaching point doesn't change for us as running backs. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Well, our, our aiming point on that is obviously different. So I try to marry up gap scheme, aiming point with our wide zone aiming point. And so that's going to be the butt of the tight end. If we're running to a tight end or if we're running to a two-man service, it's going to be the, you know, the butt of the ghost tight end, as I would say. Um, I like running out of pistol. That's the, you know, we're going to have scissors footwork and we're going to do, you know, that's going to be a landmark. The thing that I thought we did a great job at um, at BYU is that um, the coaching point out of the gun 
we want to step on the toes of the quarterback. The quarterback's going to step step back after he catches it. We're going to run flat down the line, step on his toes. And I think that created, you know, some movement from those linebackers. Then also, you know, it allowed the, you know, kind of clarity for those pullers. And so just like we said previously on counter, so our aiming point, we want to have our aiming point, but then our read is going to be the inside hip of the puller. And really on that play, it's going to be the inside hip of the second puller. Um, and so, once again, the, the reason why that coaching point is so important and I think it's so beneficial is it forces those guys to stay in phase with the puller and to not outflank them. Some coaches use the term slow to, uh, slow to fast or, you know, things like that. To me, you don't need that coaching point if they're reading the inside hip of the puller. It's going to force them to be patient. It's going to force them to wait until there's clarity in the read before they make their decision. And so I, I firmly believe in those coaching points, you know, on pin and pool. I love pin and pool. And that's something we've had a lot of success at over the, over the past, you know, four or five years of my career um, with those coaching points. Sure. And moving on to, to zone blocking schemes. Um, we spoke a little bit before the podcast was uh, getting set up. You, you spoke about some experience with the tight zone and the wide zone. Could you perhaps, for those listeners that might not know the difference, could you just clarify those and then add in those coaching points again? So, so tight zone is a more, you know, kind of a midline. We're trying to get, we're trying to get the ball downhill fast. Like we're trying to hit this thing right down the hash as fast as possible. So our aiming point is going to be a butt of the center. And we're going to be reading in a, against an even front. We're going to read the, the defense alignment to our side. Um, if they're in an even front, we're going to read him. Post snap, he'll tell us where, where we need to insert vertically. I use the term vertical seam, you know. And so if that three technique, let's say they double him up, that we had a, a you know, a wide backer and they double team that three stay to three pretty much and they work their way up to the linebacker. Long story short, we should the ball should really just hit right down the hash on that. We shouldn't have to get off of our track. Um, when we're going against an, an eye front, we're going to read the nose. And so – same thing. We're going to read the nose if, you know, on, on the snap, if he goes to the right of the center, we know in our minds the ball's not going to go, you know, front side or to the right, you know, for lack of a, a better term. And, uh, and we're just going to read, we're going to find the first vertical opportunity outside of that, you know, depending on where, you know, opposite of wherever that, that initial read takes us. And so the, what we're trying to get accomplished on that is we're just trying to get the ball out downhill as fast as possible. Um, and there's some RPOs and reads and things that go along with that if they, you know, don't give us an opportunity to have success, you know, from the run standpoint. Uh, y zone is something that I've uh, kind of dabbled in throughout the years, but last year we really devoted a lot of time to it. It became our primary run, you know, at BYU. And so I had to really, you know, do some more research, learn a lot more about that play in specific, uh, in particular, I'm sorry. And it, it really, I feel like the coaching points that we acquired last year from just, you know, learning, you know, learning to play a little bit better. I think it took our, our run game to another level. Um, as far as that, we ran a lot out of pistol. Um, we're going to be three yards behind the quarterback. And our our aiming point, like I said, on pin and pull is the butt of the tight end or the butt of the ghost tight end, depending on what a three or two man surface. Um, and if we're in a gun, same thing that we talked about in pin and pull. He's going to step on the toes of the quarterback. Quarterback's going to step off the midline. 
and but our, our aiming point is still going to be the same. The reason I like that is it forces the, the linebackers to run laterally instead of downhill and clog everything up. Um, and then as far as our read, when we're running against an even front, we're going to read the defensive end. And so we want to get a good pre-snap read on the DN. If, uh, if he's a wide nine, say we're running to a tight end, if he's a wide nine, there's a good chance that we know in our mind that that ball is not going to go outside. But we, I use the term, we need to uh, confirm it post-snap just in case they run some type of slant or, you know, some stunt. We need to confirm that he's, he's staying an eye post-snap. And so uh, once the ball snapped, we've confirmed it now. We want to get our eyes to the double team, you know, between whether it be the, the center guard or the guard tackle and specifically the inside man in the double team. He'll tell us whether the ball needs to circle or if it needs to cut back. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times the center would not get that, you know, that G, you know, reached. And so that's, that's what I thought took us to the, to the next level is because it, our eyes got to that double team faster, faster than, than it had in the past. And we were hitting the ball downhill a lot. Like it would initially be wide. And then as, you know, we're making that read on a double team, the ball would hit vertical. And so my coaching point for the grant, the overall scheme to kind of get my running backs to, to trust that the cut is um, wide zone or outside zone as some people call it is a vertical play. And the reason why I say it, we're not trying to, we really aren't trying to circle, you know, a, a nine technique. We should never even tr think that's, you know, part of our, you know, the description of the play. I want us thinking that this thing could go all the way in the backside A gap. If, you know, if, if things happen up front, you know, in a certain way, then, you know, and so I thought once I kind of made, you know, made that picture clear for the running backs that we're, we're not trying to run a jet sweep when we get the ball. We're trying to get a, you know, a, make a, a vertical cut on this play. We took that. I think those coaching points, you know, led us to a lot more success. Um, and I, I learned a lot of those coaching points from Jeff Grimes. I can't take credit. Um, but we, we ran it so much that we, we logged and banked a bunch of reps and, and learned from them. And uh, I, th I thought those were good, you know, coaching points that took us to the next level. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Coach. I mean, we've run out of time for today. I mean, hopefully we can get you back on and deep dive into it all a little bit further. Um, yeah. But for today, I mean, some of the listeners might want to, to reach out to you and get a hold of you and discuss it a bit more further. Um, are you happy to share your social media handles in case people want to get a hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, you can f find me on Twitter. It's Coach underscore Steward, S-T-E-W-A-R-D, as in dog. Um, that's you can find me on there and, and I follow back every coach that, that follows me on there. You know, I, I believe in, you know, staying connected and um, we're all in this to help each other and, you know, just continue to acquire knowledge to, you know, help help these young men. And so, yeah, follow me for sure on on uh, Twitter, coach underscore steward and look forward to uh, getting to know more great coaches. Brilliant. Thanks, coach. Um, I hope the University of Arizona have a great 2020 season. Stay safe and hopefully we'll get you over to the UK sometime soon. I would love that. Appreciate you. Thank you again to Coach Stewart for taking the time to talk to us. Make sure you keep the first weekend of July available as much as possible to enjoy the BAFCA convention. Tune in next time for another BAFCA coaching podcast episode. Thank you.